This morning, as we begin our brand new sermon series, uh, it's simply called Testify. And as you can tell, um, that guy's happy. Probably lives in Ohio, and that's at the end of winter before when the sun finally comes out, right? No. (laughs) But legitimately, what we're going to do over the next four weeks is we are going to examine when Jesus came to somebody and changed their life dramatically and how they responded, how they testified about Jesus Christ. And it's pretty amazing. There are a variety of different kinds of responses. And today, I think you might be surprised on how the person who has changed, how they respond, how they share their testimony with Jesus Christ. So I hope that you guys are ready for some amazing things. I hope that you are encouraged and emboldened to share your faith by looking at these folks who have great faith in our scriptures. So I would like to begin today by talking about somebody that is in every single good story. Donald Miller, who is a writer of, uh, he's written memoirs like Blue Like Jazz, if you ever read that memoir. He actually uh, goes around and, and, and now helps people with business and with story. And he talks about story, and there are four essential parts to a story. First of all, there's characters, characters that you care about, characters that develop, characters that do things. Second of all, there is a character in particular that wants something, and that usually becomes the main character. Now, it depends on what kind of story that you're reading, Most of the time they're protagonists, but sometimes they are the antagonists. Be the case, the main character wants something specific. The third part of the story is there is conflict. There's something that stands in the way of that character getting what they want. Pretty simple, right? And last but not least, the conclusion, the resolution, the the character either is successful or fails or somewhere in between. But usually, at the point, either right before the climax, the main character consults another character. And that character is known as the sage. The person who knows exactly what the main character needs to get ready for the climax of the story. Now, I mean, automatically, I'm drawn to Yoda of Star Wars. (laughs) Luke is dealing with an incredible evil and wants to be on the light side of that, and he goes to the Dagobah system and encounters the little green dude that has very poor grammar. Uh, But Yoda trains Luke, works with Luke, pushes his buttons to inspire him to become greater. You can think of any, any story, and there will be sages along the way. Now, the one interesting thing about sages is we look up to them because they know what they're talking about. They, 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 they know what to say. And oftentimes when you and I, um, if you were a follower of Jesus, 
think about going out and sharing your faith, we often think that we need to become a sage to be able to share our faith. Because guess what? There's a ton of questions that might come if I say, I believe in Jesus Christ as Lord, that he has saved me and raised me for brand new life. And then the person that you're sharing this with goes, ah, I got questions. And they're not easy questions. We have difficult questions that are given to us when we say that we believe in Christ. And sometimes we even see more hostile responses to when we say we believe in Jesus Christ. And yet we, as followers of Christ, are tasked with the mission that Jesus left all of his followers. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And here we sit We have this impression that in order to do what Jesus says, we have to study, be able to debate, be able to say all of these different kinds of important arguments to show we know what we're really talking about, to show that we are sage, to show that we are an expert. And oftentimes, if we have that impression, we just won't. (laughs) Because it takes a lot. It's a lot of prep. It takes a lot to put yourself out there and be willing to answer questions. But what if I told you that answers are not required to share your faith? Today we are going to look in John chapter 4. And we're going to look at a story that is filled with things, filled with amazing truths. And I'm going to have to skim a lot of it to get to the main portion of what we're talking about today. This is the story when Jesus encounters a Samaritan woman at the well. And this is a very interesting account because, you see, Jesus crosses boundaries. He does things that people say you shouldn't do that in order to speak to this woman and offer her a transformation of life. So if you would like to read along with me in your Bibles, it will also be up on the screen. We're using the Common English Translation. Jesus had to go through Samaria, and he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, which was near the land Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was tired from his journey, so he sat down at the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to the well to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me some water to drink. His disciples had gone into the city to buy him some food. The Samaritan woman asked, why do you, a Jewish man, ask for something to drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Jews and Samaritans didn't associate with one another. Jesus responded, if you recognized God's gift and who is saying to you, give me some water to drink, you would actually be asking him and he would be giving you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you don't have a bucket and the well is deep. Where would you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? 
He gave this well to us. He drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will, that I will give will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become in those who drink it a spring of water that bubbles up into eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will never be thirsty and will never need to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, change the subject, go get your husband and come back here. The woman replied, I, I don't have a husband. You are right to say, I don't have a husband, Jesus answered. You've had five husbands, and the man you are with now isn't your husband. You have spoken the truth. The woman said, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you and your people say that it is necessary to worship in Jerusalem. And Jesus said to her, Believe me, woman, the time is coming when you and your people will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You and your people worship what you don't know. We worship what we know because salvation is from the Jews. But the time is coming and is here when true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. The Father looks for those who worship him this way. God is spirit. And it is necessary to worship God in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will teach everything to us. And Jesus said to her, I am the one who speaks with you. Just then, Jesus' disciples arrived and were shocked that he was talking to a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? And the woman put down her water jar and went into the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who has told me everything I have done. Could this man be the Christ? And they left the city and were on their way to see Jesus. This account is full of amazing, amazing truths. But the first thing that we need to see is that Jesus goes to a Samaritan woman. There are three strikes here. First of all, Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Samaritans believed differently from Jews. They had a different ethnic background from Jews. And Jews, can, the common practice was Jews saw them as unclean. So he as a Jew approaches a Samaritan. Second of all, Men don't approach women in public. It was considered to be a social, it was a problem. <laughs> it's as easy as that. Because there was this fear of what might happen if a man and a woman talk in public. Second strike, third strike is that we learn later on in the story that she is in a relationship that is outside of what God has shown to be the most holy relationship between a man and a woman. Marriage. She's not married. She's had several different kinds of relationships. So clean people 
Rabbis don't associate with sinners either. And Jesus still goes to this woman and strikes up a conversation with her. Like it's no big deal. But actually, he's, he's thirsty and he's actually looking for water. And she engages him in a way that we, you would expect that he's crossing three lines. <laughs> um, what? You don't have water. What are you talking about? You know, there's, there's this kind of, it's a little awkward. But Jesus takes this moment to, to say, to get to the point of being able to reveal himself as Christ, the Messiah, to this Samaritan woman. And the steps that he takes to get there is actually personally aimed right at her. He's not talking to her in a way that I have a five-point presentation. Here's my PowerPoint. Look at the animations I worked on. People who do PowerPoints are always happy about their animations. Like, did you see that go that way? Yes, it, it walked off the screen. Nice job. <laughs> but he doesn't, he doesn't address her like a presentation. He actually speaks to her. He has a need. She responds back, and then he says, actually, now I think about it, you should be asking me for water, living water, this, this, this water that is far greater than the water that you drink now. It's metaphorical for brand new life, really. And as they continue on in the conversation, she asks, can I have this water? And he, again, changes the subject. And he says, hey, go get your husband. Again, Jesus knows who this woman is because he's the Messiah. He has this ability to know people. And the truth comes out. And what we see is a woman who has been searching for something greater than herself. And the way that she is searching is through different kinds of relationships. Her relationships have failed one and again and again. And even the current one that she is in is not ideal. And then he, he starts to show his cards a little bit more. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and she goes, I can see that you're a prophet. So what she decides to do is instead of talk about her life, she's now interested because this guy knows something. She know, he, he knows something about God more than her. So he, she engages him about where do we properly worship. And Jesus turns all of that on, his, on its head and says, we will worship in spirit and truth. And then she concedes that there is a Messiah promised to come. And he simply says, I am him. See, what Jesus does is something that you and I could never do. You and I cannot know a person just from coming up to them and say, hey, I need some water. I also know that you have this problem in your life and this and that and these and those. Any of you have that ability? Good. I'm glad to hear that. Because I'd be nervous if you did. No, I'm kidding. Uh, 
We don't have this ability. So coming to and approaching Jesus and how he approaches this woman as a way to share our faith is pretty silly, wouldn't it be? We would be claiming that we have certain powers beyond what we're probably capable of. But what does the woman do after she meets Jesus and finds out that he is the Messiah? She puts down her water jar, goes into the city, and she says to the people, come and see a man who has told me everything I have ever done. Could this man be the Christ? See, this woman's testimony is marked by simply, I remember this conversation that I had with this man, and he told me what I have done, which that's incredible. And then she doesn't say that this man is the Messiah. She asks, could this man be the Christ? It's a simple question. It's not an answer. It's not a five-point presentation of pointing people to Jesus. It's just simply, could this be him? After she goes and does this, the disciples talk with him a little bit. And Jesus has some more light to share on the subject. And then we get to see what this woman's question does. In verse 31, In the meantime... The disciples spoke to Jesus, saying, Rabbi, eat. And Jesus said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. Disciples asked each other, has somebody brought him food? Like, did that lady have biscuits in her? Jesus said to them, I am fed by doing the will of the one who sent me and by completing his work. Don't you have a saying? Four more months and then it's time for harvest. Look, I tell you, open your eyes and notice that the fields are already ripe for the harvest. Those who harvest are receiving their pay and gathering fruit for eternal life so that those who sow and those who harvest can celebrate together. This is a true saying that one sows and another harvests. I have sent you to harvest what you didn't work hard for. Others worked hard, and you will share in their hard work. Many Samaritans in that city believed in Jesus because the woman's word, because of the woman's word, when she testified, he told me everything I've ever done. So the Samaritans came to Jesus and they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed. Because of his word. And they said to the woman, We no longer believe because of what you have said, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is truly the Savior of the world. When the disciples come back, they're confused. First of all, he shouldn't be talking to a woman. Second of all, he shouldn't be talking to a Samaritan. Third of all, he shouldn't be talking to a sinner. And on and on, right? But they're worried about him. Like, he was tired when we left him. Maybe he needs some food. And Jesus says to them, and he starts saying things in confusing ways, as sometimes Jesus does, but he, he, he wants to prove a point. That he is here to see people be restored into right relationship with God. And he compares this to an ag- with agri- agricultural metaphor. He says, believe it or not, you disciples are actually going to 
bring in new believers because of hard work that has happened before you. But just the same, everybody's going to celebrate. What he's saying is that these disciples are going to be able to see people to come, to come and know Christ because of what Christ has done. And the time to invite people to a right relationship with Jesus Christ is now. It's not far away. It's now. Let's do this. Go get some folks so they might believe. And that stands in contrast to what this woman does. This woman has gone and just said a testimony. And she's not harvesting anything. She is actually sowing seeds by just asking the question, could this be the Christ? She is sowing the seed because Jesus had an extraordinary conversation with this woman, and she believed something big was going on. And for us who stand 2,000 years later, we ask ourselves, how do we share Jesus with other people? How do we share Jesus with other people when I have the chance of receiving major backlash? How do, I re how do I share Jesus with people when I might be asked a question I don't know? And this woman shows to us that we don't need to have it all together to share what Jesus has done in our life already. You don't need to read books. You just need to share what God has done in your life already. You might be thinking, I don't know what God has done in my life. I don't really believe everything that you're saying. Well, here in our church, we believe that, that God is a part of anything that points to him. So, have you ever found the strength to forgive somebody that didn't deserve forgiveness? Have you ever done that? If you have, we believe that is Christ working in you. Have you ever overcome addiction? We believe that it wasn't just you overcoming addiction, but that God was working alongside of you to overcome that addiction. Have you ever taken a Saturday that... We all want our Saturdays, right? Let's go do something with the kids. Let's go relax. Let's go eat sushi. I have to take Brooke to a sushi place later this week for her birthday. That's why that's on my mind. Uh, we, we love our days off, but instead we give a Saturday over to serving others who have less than us. We go and serve in a soup kitchen. We go and help our neighbor who isn't able to do stuff around their house. If you've ever done that before, we believe that Christ is working in you to do that kind of service. If you've ever just simply shared what you struggle with, you have a question, 
you have a question for God, it might borderline on, why do I struggle doing this? It might go, why does God allow bad in the world when he's good? Sharing those questions and being honest in a group of people and being open to whatever God might be doing in that moment, that's when Christ is working in you. Something that I have learned by reading countless theologians is that doubt and questioning is a healthy aspect of faith. It's not opposite. A lot of people think, oh, just have faith. Stop doubting. No, 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 no. If you have questions about God, that means you have the openness to what Christ might do in your life. And he will give you even more faith on the other side. And so to me, whenever I hear people say, I need to know how to talk to people about Jesus Christ, just share what he's done in your life and even ask a question. You might be amazed to see, yeah, I've always had that question too. Andy Stanley is... We're, we're, on Sunday nights, we're doing a discipleship group based on his, uh, his book, Starting Point. And it's about the starting point of faith. And he asserts in this study that the, the starting point for faith isn't the Bible, <laughs> which a lot of people like to do. It's not the church, because guess what? The church has its moments. No, the starting point from G, or for, for faith is Jesus. And the starting point for us to come to faith is to ask a question. Who is Jesus? Who is this man that ministered for three years, changed the world in three years, died and rose again from the grave? Who is Jesus? And so you and I, in order to share Jesus or in order to even start anew in our faith with Christ, have to be willing to ask questions. Because when you ask a question, it means that you are opening yourself for God's answer. Whatever that might be. You know what this is? This is a group of 50 to 60 individuals who are asking, what is Jesus doing right now? Who is this Jesus? That's why you're here, right? I mean, you might be here because your mom made you come. But your mom's asking the question. And maybe it wouldn't be a bad idea to ask the question yourself. I feel, I feel like our, our hope for constant certainty in faith in Christ is, is folly. Because once we are so certain about one thing, we have closed ourselves off to what God might do next in our lives. Leonard Sweet, who wrote this amazing book called Nudge that I'm reading about evangelism, says these words. 
When we assume to know, we rule out the possibility of receiving more from God. When we assume to know, we rule out the possibility of receiving more from God. So what's your question? What has God done in your life? Mix those two together and you have a testimony. You can share somebody, you can share with somebody else about Jesus. Because there is no question too big for God. There isn't. And there are a lot of people who have questions for him. So just ask it. This past week, I had a conversation over Facebook Messenger, which is the worst conversation sometimes. But I was talking to another person who has a different viewpoint about something that's political. I'll be honest, I had a, I had a debate over Facebook Messenger, I confess. It was really interesting on, on how we went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But once we got to a point where somebody, one of us asked a question that neither of us knew the answer to, the conversation changed dramatically. Instead of saying, hey, you're arguing from this perspective and you, know, you have a hole here, it became like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. Let's look into that. And the conversation became less about the argument and more about discovering what God wants. And he even said to me, he goes, that's the one thing I love about debates. At some point, it's going to cause us to go and read, search the scriptures for what God has to say to us about this. It was heated. It was, it was all of that. But one question brought us to the same point. You and I have the opportunity to share Christ with others through asking questions and by being willing to say what God has done in your life already. Are you willing to do that? Because Christ has called you to do that. He has called his church to share the good news that he died and rose again so that you and I would have relation, right relationship with him and that we would have everlasting life with him and that our lives would be marked by love, by peace, by hope, by joy. Allow him to work through you even your biggest questions. And just maybe we'll see an entire Samaritan village come to know him. We might see countless numbers of our neighbors and our friends and our family come to know the peace that only God provides. To love as he loves. And they will be granted the promises that we have been promised of life now and life everlasting. Would you pray with me? God, we have questions. 
And that's not a bad thing. And in fact, we believe, Lord, that your spirit can work through those questions. That when we ask questions in, in life, it's not because we want to be away from you. Rather, it's we want to draw nearer to you. So God, I pray right now that you would be upon us. For those of us who believe in Christ, may we be willing to step out and share what you have done in our lives and ask questions. And for those who don't know you yet today, maybe there's somebody in this room that really is all like, I'm not even sure if Jesus actually is the Son of God as, as this guy is saying. May they be willing to step out and ask questions. To be willing to seek you so that their lives would be transformed in your image. I pray, God, that we do not put the burden of trying to be sages as disciples, but rather be followers and constant learners of you and your will for us. I ask this in your holy name, Jesus. Amen.